0: I was um, I was 14 years old when I sort of made a, a firm commitment to wanting to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, I, I found myself among this group of people that call themselves the Jesus people, and uh, this was back in 1970. And um, uh, the, the Jesus people were kind of a neo-Pentecostal group, and what that means is, you know, they were kind of uh, really, we were really into experiencing God with power, and we were, uh, uh, you know, loved deep prayer, we loved seasons of worship. There was lots of fasting and, and a commitment to sharing the gospel with people, and uh, lots of praying in tongues. I mean, it was a whole nine yards, man. And, uh, uh, and we could cry out for God, God move in our midst. And, um, we had a lot of this, this personal piety, which just means this deep sense of devotion to God. is pretty much all we had. I mean, I love piety. I love sort of having that mystical kind of openness to God for us to experience what we are not right now experiencing and, and to feel his presence I love to feel emotionally his presence in uh, and, and prayer and worship at the table. You know, I'm kind of an old school charismatic in that regard. And uh, I, th- in the Old Testament, they used to, the Jews in the wilderness, they would move around, but the only time they'd move around was when the, there was a cloud that would move in the day or the fire by night. And so I've always been a cloud fire seeker, right? I want to see, I want to taste, I want to experience God. There's an old song that we used to sing called I just want to be where you are. And that's always been my anthem. Now it was pretty limited to seeing God or finding God in prayer moments or worship moments or down at the altar and crying or praying in tongues or that kind of thing. I thought that's the only place where God was. And, and as the years have gone by, I've discovered that God is in other places, right? And uh, w- one of the downsides of personal piety is that it's so personal. And sometimes we, you know, it's, it, it kind of turns into me and Jesus, uh, there's an old Tom Hall song. He was an old country western singer. There's an old song he wrote called Me and Jesus. We got our own thing Win Me and Jesus. We got it all worked out. Me and Jesus. We got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Right? Thank you. My my CD project is coming out pretty soon. Watch for that, right? (laughs) But the reality is, is what I have discovered over the last 30 plus years, 34 years this year in pastoral care, is that God is most often powerfully encountered, not when we just move toward him in private devotional moments, but as we move toward him in the shadows of pain that's being experienced in the lives of others. That that we don't just discover God in prayer. That God can be found with the hurting. Not causing the hurt. But he's there to comfort and to protect and often to heal what's going on in in, in the hurt experience. This is why Jesus nudged his disciples to go. To go into the villages and to go into the byways and to encounter people that were look, And to look for people who were in painful places, who were lost and without a shepherd, who were helpless, is what Jesus said. And to journey from your personal comfort and concerns, smack into the concerns and the needs of others, is what a God kind of journey is all about. And we find that God is smack in that. There's a text in Luke 10 that gives us a little vignette of this. Jesus had appointed 72 folks and he sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and the place where he was about to go and he told them the harvest is plentiful there's lots of people ready but there's not that many people engaging in this the workers are few and so he said ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field and then he said answer your that prayer by going yourself (laughs) in other words not just pray get engaged with what you pray about right Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Sometimes when you move toward pain, it looks like you're going to get eaten up. Sometimes when you move toward pain, there's a natural fear that says, run, don't move toward this. And he says, don't try to defend yourself. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't, you know, don't try to defend yourself or take care of yourself in this. And don't greet anyone down the road. In other words, don't get so caught up in, the, uh, in just being with other people you enjoy or happen by. But keep moving toward those who no one wants to be by. Toward those who are in pain. Toward those who no one is choosing. Who are Strangers. He says, when you enter a house, when you enter a village, enter a house, say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. I wish I could tell you why. That's actually a strategy for reaching villages that we don't have time to explicate here. But um, let's go to verse 9. When you enter a town, you're welcome. Eat what's set before you. And then here's a wandering. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. He's saying, go to people who are feeling in the place of loss, whether it's physical, sometimes sickness is sickness of the soul, sickness of the heart. And he said, move toward those people and tell them the kingdom of God's right here, which is very counterintuitive because when you're sick in some way, whether you're in a deep loss or you're estranged to someone, you don't think God is near. If he was near, you wouldn't be sick. If he was near, you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. And yet, he says, go to them and tell them, God is with you in this. What if a big part of spirituality is, is journeying like this toward people? Where we're willing to leave where we are to intentionally go towards places that are not familiar with us, to us. Toward people, toward others. The disciples' little God journey from town to town, village to village, was to reach the lost, to reach people who were without shepherds. And this kind of journey is not one that has self as its focus. A lot of times that's what we're doing when we're in prayer. We're trying to open our hearts for ourselves. But this is about the other, not just you. Right? The Gospels record multiple places where Jesus is encouraging this type of journeying, this kind of go uh, pilgrimage where whether it's Luke 9, Luke 10, Matthew 10, Mark 6, over and over, Jesus keeps sending his disciples out to discover the kingdom beyond their selves, their individual self. Their mission was to go and show and tell people that God was there with them. And when they got out there, they found God present there, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain, because God is always committed to the other. God is always committed to people who are hurting Why is that? Somehow, Jesus in his incarnation, he completely locks into the human experience. Not just the good, not just the laughter, not just the fun, but the ugly and the tainted and the horrifying. And so Jesus, as he goes through the Paschal, they call it the Paschal journey, that journey of like a lamb being led to slaughter. And he has his own people rejecting him, denying him. The people that he had served saying crucify him. And then on the cross as he's dying, the scripture says he became sin. And he even says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He tastes all of the rejection, all of the pain. He, he, he embraces with solidarity the human experience and the human pain. And then he finds a way out of it in resurrection. But what we have to understand is what the claim is in Scripture is that everyone in pain, God is unusually present there because he understands them. And he's present and yet a little bit in hiding. And because he's present, what we're to do in belief of that is to move toward people in pain so that once we get there, we can say, hey... He's right nearby. It doesn't feel like it, I know. It doesn't look like it, I know. But he's right nearby. And we have come to declare the kingdom is near. God is near. And in that declaration, there's an experience of God in their lives and ours. What if God is still out there in the pain of lives in 2014? I mean, there's obviously pain all around us. Are we... Even aware of it. And if we are aware of it, are we moving toward it? Are we too afraid that there are too many wolves? Are we journeying towards it? The gospel claim is that God is found in the lives of those, of those who ache, that He's there. You remember the text in Matthew 25, and this is interesting because Jesus is giving us a little vignette of a look of what's going to happen at the end of the age when there's judgment. And He's describing this. And he says in in verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come into the kingdom. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. Nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted to be around me. And you invited me in. I needed clothes. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came towards me to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, What? I mean, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty, or give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger, someone alienated, discounted, cellophane? When did we see you like that and actually invite you in or saw you naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick? In prison or in prison and visit you, and the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did it for me. He's affirming the reality that because he understands the full pain of the world, that those who are in pain, he's most aware of and he's very present with. They often don't see it at all. That's why we're to call and call attention to it to share with them, God is near. He's present and he is so linked to it that when we come to someone and we embrace them, we embrace a person that everybody else has rejected, maybe someone that's embarrassed themselves and embarrassed the people they've been around and nobody wants to even stand next to them and we choose to take that stranger and invite them in, even if it makes us look bad for doing it. That Jesus is saying, you're doing that to me. (laughs) Think of Jesus moving towards people. (laughs) The story when when he lets that harlot come to him and starts, she's crying, washing his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And people are going, there's no way he's a prophet. I mean, if he was a prophet, he would know this woman's filthy. Nobody owns her. Nobody embraces her. She's a stranger. And yet Jesus honors her. Or Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree, he's a tax collector. He's an enemy to the state of Israel. And people hated him. They actually were people that were hired to kill people like that guy. And here's Jesus looking up and the whole village is there. And Jesus calls him by name. He was that infamous. (laughs) People knew him. And he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. And the scripture says that when Jesus honored him by recognizing him and actually going to his house, that the whole, the scripture says, the whole town grumbled. I've ticked off some people, but not the whole town. The whole town grumbled. And the scripture says as he walks with Zacchaeus on the way to his house, the whole way Zacchaeus is repenting, wanting to make things right, to put things right. And the scripture tells us the kindness of God leads people to repentance. See, when you embrace the stranger and invite them in, you're embracing Jesus. He has complete solidarity with people that are in pain. So counterintuitive, counterintuitive, because we think if the person is hungry and, and Jesus is right there, they wouldn't be. If a person is naked, if Jesus was in that situation, he wouldn't be naked. If a person is sick, well, they'd be healed, right? But he says that, that even in my sickness, you took care of me, which means that you're moving toward a person that even after you pray and they don't get healed and you take care of them and you take care of them and you move toward them and you might catch what they have. You still move, to, move toward them. That that kind of willingness, he's saying, you're doing that for me. I'm right there with them. When we journey towards those who are hurting and in pain, what we find out is God steps out of the shadows, and we encounter him. Um, There's a text in Psalm 23, you'll know this one. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then in verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. Most people have very little spiritual awareness. All they see are their enemies. All they know is the enemy they're living in. Their estrangement, their imprisonment, their poverty, their ache. That's all they know. That's all they can see is their enemy. And yet, Jesus says, or God says, I prepare a table for you right in the presence of your enemies. Most aren't aware of the table. And we think if, 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 if the table is really there and God was really there preparing something, the enemy would be gone. But that's not how God thinks. That's not how God says it's, it works. That what we're to do is we go to meet people in their pain. As we go and meet people in their, you know, kind of their, in, in the midst of the presence of their enemies, that somehow we can stop and say, hey, the kingdom is near. God is here with you. He cares. And I'm here to tell you and I'm here to engage with you and be a part of your story. God is with everyone in trouble. We're we're so thrown by pain oftentimes that we avoid it. Uh, We are my default impulse is to steer clear of trouble. And in the lives of others, or when there's something between me and somebody else, if it's a misunderstanding or a disagreement or unforgiveness or that kind of stuff or a disconnect, I tend to not want to deal with it. I'd rather just go pray about it. I'd rather just go over in the corner and deal with it in my heart instead of moving toward the person. It's just something, I think, that that, that a lot of us feel that way. But, But what if we miss God when we avoid the pain that we encounter? I mean, what if we go? What if we journey smack toward the pain? What I'm suggesting is, what if God appears there most dramatically even more dramatically than we're in worship than when we're in worship in our personal lives um years ago I'll give you an example of this years ago i was a young pastor and stupid i'm still stupid but not as stupid but i was extra stupid and uh, it was a small town i was pastoring there and you know the community all knew each other i mean if you had your cousin visit it showed up with a paper so you know it's just a small town So I'm standing on a Wednesday night and I'm speaking and I'm trying, you know, my whole life was with these people and I had an experience that I thought was instructive about a family. They had done something and they, and it was in a kind of a semi-public play situation and they thought they were not doing a godly thing and it was a little embarrassing to me and so I'm trying to dance around it, but I'm trying to, you know, change a little bit of the story so they wouldn't know who I was talking about. Well, they knew who I was talking about. They knew that I was talking about them. So I, you know, it's Wednesday. By the time Saturday hits, I'd been gone for a couple of days and, and I came in to study uh, for Sunday. I was doing some final stuff and, and on my desk, uh, I, by myself, but on my desk was this letter and I see it was from that family I had mentioned, not by name, but in that kind of, you know, incognito way that wasn't very incognito and, um, and I opened it up and the letter uh, the, the lady was saying, I am so sorry that we embarrassed you. I'm so sorry that that you know we did this. We uh, weren't aware that we did it and we're willing to leave the church. I mean, if we're, if, you know, whatever. And, you, and on the letter you saw, you could see where she was crying. See spots where her tears had fallen. And uh, <laughs> that's one of the joys of writing. I mean, emails don't have spots like that, but that's what we live in. But the point is, is that I'm holding that letter and everything in me is going, that's an overreaction. She's overreacting. That wasn't that. I, I, you know, what am I supposed to do? I only have one life. I need to share what I'm experiencing and use it to encourage people. So I'm being all defensive inside. But another part of me was saying, you're an idiot. <laughs> I just wanted to run from it. I thought, well, I'll just pray about it. Let's leave it alone. I'll just pray about it. And then I stopped and I said, no. I just took the letter, put it in the envelope, Grabbed my coat, got in the car, drove to their house all the way there. I'm having an out-of-body experience like I am a lamb going to the slaughter. (laughs) This is stupid. Why are you moving toward this pain? Run for the love of God, run. Knocked on their door. They opened the door. You know, there's that real awkwardness. And I came in and I said, please, can you guys forgive me? I am so sorry. I put this on parade. They're crying, I'm crying, and all of a sudden, to my shock, God appears. Healing happens, laughter comes, hugs. Both they and me, probably more me, had a moment of growth, of faith, and hope, and love. More so than my devotional moment that morning. Because when you move toward pain, you move toward God. I tell you story after story after story. This is, what, this is what life is about. I mean, this week, 10.30, Gail and I just sat down to turn on a show, one of our favorite shows, or watching the show, and my phone rings 10.38 Wednesday night. I look at it and I think, okay, it's not our kids, you know, because usually the only ones that call that later are your kids, just to torment you. So it wasn't my kids. I saw it was a phone number I didn't recognize. I said, okay, it's got to be something. So my first reaction is, let it go to voicemail. I'm enjoying my show. But in my heart, no, no, turn it on. Hello? And it was Ariel McKenna, Jim and Sarah McKenna's daughter. And she's crying. And she said, Pastor Ed, she said, my dad just had a heart attack. She said, "Um, and they're doing some stuff. They don't know if he's going to make it. And I said, "I, I, I said that we, we're coming right now." So, Gil and I threw our shoes on and our coats on, and we jumped in the car. We're driving down there again. There's a part of me when trouble comes like this that I would just rather stay at home and pray. Just I'll pray. You let me know what happens. Because anytime you move toward pain, there's that little sense of a lamb facing a wolf. And pulling up, I don't know if you've ever pulled up. I've done it too many times. Pull to a hospital emergency room and you're going to walk in and you do not not know what you're going to face. And so we pulled up and you're a little bit shuddering inside and you just keep pushing. You just keep moving toward it. Where is God? He doesn't feel like he's anywhere. He feels like he is on vacation. And I pushed, we got into the, the front area and then we got let back, ran into the, to the nurse and she said, we lost Jim. Okay, I'm going. I mean, Jim and Sarah were one of the first couples Gail and I met when we came to Tulsa. They've been around for supportive and caring in the worst and the bad times, best and the worst times. And I'm going, I just wanted to stop and sit and process. But I, okay, where's the family? They're right down the hall, this door on the left. I saw it's about 100 feet away. And I know they're all in there, and I know Jim's lying there lifeless. And everything in me does not want to walk down there. But you push and you move toward the pain. And we open the door and there they were, broken, shocked. And you just huddle. You don't have to say anything because there's nothing to say. You're just with people like God is with people. And we hugged and we cried and we're standing there. and, And then after a while when things gather, we're there about an hour and a half and And then at one point, we all gathered around, circled around Jim's body. And holding hands, the whole family, we prayed the Our Father together. And Our Father, the breaking, the sobbing as they pressed through the Our Father. And what shocked me was how God was there. And then we put our hands on his body and we committed him to God, saying, God, take care of him. Watch over him until we see him again. And in those moments, I I was thinking to myself, okay, why are you so real here? Why weren't you real like right before the heart attack? Why didn't you stop it there? Why are you so real here and you weren't real then? And there's no answer. Because see, God doesn't have to right every wrong this side of eternity. He doesn't. And there's things that happen that we don't know why they happen, but For whatever reason, even on the back end of a confusing, horrible moment, why is he there so present and so powerful? Because God's always there with people in pain. Here's the point. Christianity isn't simply about personal piety and Bible study and prayer and church attendance and the Eucharist and worship and the like. I mean, he certainly is there. The, those things are important. But they're not for the purpose of self-aggrandizement. They're not just there to make you feel better about yourself and to discover your gifts so you can gift at people or discover your purpose so you can purpose at people and walk around saying, here I am. That's not what it's for. It, it's, we encounter God in those moments so that we can walk out into the world and say, there you are. What's going on? We lean on the strength of those moments so that we can, and, and we're broken by those moments so that we can give ourselves to the world around us. Mother Teresa, when she spoke of personal devotion, remember she gave her life to serving people. Here's what she said about personal devotion: quote, we need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. We need silence, those personal moments, to be able to touch souls. End quote. So she's saying, the reason for personal devotion is so that we can secure the strength that we need so that we can give ourselves to people. And in a very real way, if you understand the disciplines of the faith, silence, fasting, prayer, study, all these different kinds of things, uh, they're really given to us to bruise and to crush our souls. I mean, just spend time in prayer for an hour. You know, you might run out of words in five minutes. And then you move into silence. I mean, it messes with your soul. Just open up and read some scripture. Just decide over the next, maybe during the Lent season or whatever, to read extra scripture. It, I wish it wasn't, I mean, there's a lot of times that scripture is boring. And you force yourself to read it and you push into it why? Because it's breaking you. It's bruising your soul. Try Fasting. It messes with you that scripture says uh, with the discipline of fasting in Psalm 35, it says, I humble myself with fasting. What's he saying? I break down my soul. Because there's something about this idea when Jesus took the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. So when we come into the disciplines, this is my moment before you, God, to be praying so that I'm broken for the other This is the reason I come into this moment of of discipline spiritually. It's not so that I can be spiritually enlightened. It's to be that my soul can be broken and bruised and in the enlightenment of that I can pour my life out for others. We become a Eucharist people. Fasting, things like fasting mess with your souls, bruise your soul, make you less in charge. Andrew Arndt, who is one of the pastors here for years now pastoring in Denver, wrote a great blog this week. He was talking about reaccessing pa- fasting in his life. He said, I've been, he said, I've not been fasting much in the last bit. And he said, I'm re-grabbing it and reinstituting it in my life. And here's what he wrote. Quote, first I found that fasting put me back in touch with my own humanity. Something about walking around with the pain of a hungry stomach led me to a place where I felt my own vulnerability in a place that I hadn't in quite some time. I realized that I often use food to cover over my feelings of vulnerability. Having a full fed stomach, and a properly functioning body has the effect of making one feel invincible at times. And as, that as such, I was blunting my experience of being a human being. Part of what it means to be human is to feel and to feel deeply our own finitude. I was more in touch with my own emotions, more open to God when I was fasting, and to my great surprise, was far more in touch with the emotions of others. One evening while I was fasting, some new friends told Mandy and I the story of a loved one of of theirs that was dying, had died several years earlier from cancer. I felt emotion welling up inside of me as tears began to stream down my face, which was a surprise to me, because as normally, I'm more cerebral in my handling of such situations. I knew in that moment that my fasting was opening me up to new experiences of connection to others, end quote. See, what if the whole reason we have personal piety is to prepare us to journey to the villages, to hear Jesus go as a lamb amongst wolves and tell them the kingdom is here. It's right next to you. In Isaiah five fifty eight, 58 rather, it talks about fasting and here's what Isaiah, the Lord says through Isaiah, is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a person to humble himself? I mean, he said, this is what you have made it up, it's a personal thing. Is it, is it only for one bowing their head like a reed or lying in sackcloth and ashes so that you feel close to the Lord? You know, is this, is that the, what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? He's kind of saying, you're missing the point. And then he tells him what fasting really is. He said, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. It's not just about you. To untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. In other words, fasting prepares you for the other. To God journey to people in pain. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide water or poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Even those closest to you sometimes are in pain and we don't pay attention. Then if you do this right kind of fasting, a kind that's not just personal, but a kind that personally gets you prepared for the other, then you will see light breaking forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. I mean, there'll be personal breakthrough as well. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. What this is saying is we meet God not just in our personal prayer lives, but when we run toward pain in the world. He's right there. If this is true, What it's saying is that spiritual maturity and finding meaning in life is not just about personal self-discovery. It's not just about finding your own personal purpose. It's found in moving toward people in pain and hurting them, helping them. We need those seasons of silence and study and prayer because we need to get coming to the table. We need all that stuff because they're not ends within themselves, but they're the thing that help us to be prepared to go broken into the world to give ourselves for people. So we move towards them. John tells us that we best love God by loving our neighbor. He said in John, 1 John 4, if anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is is a liar. He doesn't. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen Cannot love God whom he has not seen. What he's saying is, if you want to know how much you love God, ask yourself, how much do you love people that are in pain? You don't love God any more than you love those people. And only in heaven will we see how much we owe the hurting around us because they have shown us, they've helped us to love God better because of them. Journeys toward hurting, our journeys toward being open to hurting people. I just keep saying I want to hurt people, I really don't. (laughs) Journeys toward the hurting people opens up our spirit to the possibilities and the realities that we haven't yet grasped. We move away from the personal and the familiar and we journey out our hearts. And what happens is that in deep in our hearts, it becomes a place where God can work and where faith can become more robust. A kingdom journey to help others around you, it opens. You up to, to to for your identity to be examined, and for you to ask, what am I about? And and, and you, because the reality is, in private, when you don't journey toward others, in private, you can get to a place where you're just in frustration because you don't understand how how people don't give you what you deserve. You know, you, they're not they're not treating you as well as you should be treated, and you don't have the opportunities you should have for how gifted you are. And without realizing it, you can really find yourself in kind of a rage and a discontent. And you wonder, where is God in my life? Where is God in my life? Right? But when you move toward others, when you get sent by Jesus into the villages of your life, the reverse is true. Because you're more thankful for all that you have. And and you feel compassion for the lonely and the hurting, for the people that are suffering loss who have no one who cares for them, people you run into that no one cares about them, their cellophane, They're see-through-ish. Nobody seems to see them, and you just lean into them. Moments like those lead you to a place where you begin to understand what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Because what you're doing is this this cross is an instrument of death, and you know it's painful, but yet you discover it's wonderful because there's a kind of new life that emerges from it. You get this new sense of identity, and, and you're in the midst of this God journey, and you begin to wake up to spiritual reality like you've never done. What was blurry starts coming into focus, and it's wonderful. I'm encouraging you to dare to look for pain and to journey to it. One more story. This Friday night, about 10.30 again, I get a text from a friend from out of town. He actually lives in another city. I've known them. I've known the last year. They've had great trouble and great pain. And he texted me. said, hey, we're in town. Just wanted to say Hi it's 1030 at night I'm thinking oh, oh good man good to see you thanks for texting and I sense nah I know they're hurting I said to Gail I said Gail what do you think she said let's go jumped in the car 1045 by the time we got to where they were it was close to 11 they were finishing up a deal they were a part of here in town in the working environment we walked in there you know those awkward moments of first walking up to somebody hey leaned into them Said, hey, let's, let's go out and get, get something to drink. And there was booze involved. <laughs> just a glass of wine. Or two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So we're sitting down, and you start entering the story. And there are tears. And there's pain. And we just leaned into it, and we talked it out. There was a sense of unhealthiness that we gently embraced and we got home about 1 30 and um just as we're walking into the bedroom getting ready for bed the i got a text from the from them and the text said you were an agent of healing and grace from god tonight to us thank you and and that's what i found out i found out that god shows up even at that table we were sitting there god was there in an unusual way. And I think, I don't think anymore. I just want to find my gifts. I just want to find my purpose. I want to see if God will exalt me. And so I, I don't think that way anymore. I, I go to God in my heart and in my life, but I'm always saying, God, help me be broken for you and whatever you have. And you know what? If you look for pain, you will find it. And if you just slowly move toward it, you will find God is there as powerfully as any running around, screaming in tongues, falling on the ground, whatever you think floats your boat. A week just reading the Bible every day for all day. I mean, you're going to find God in pain as real or even more real than any of that other stuff. So seek him in the hurting. That's us In about seven weeks, uh, we're going to begin this journey of Lent. Some of you... You know, if you've never been in Lent, it's the most horrible, wonderful experience you'll ever have. It's when we journey in disciplines like fasting and prayer. I'm going to invite those that are helping us serve community to come up, uh, musicians come up. And we do extra you know, extra fasting. Uh, uh, we're going to have some extra prayer. We're going to have some house church gatherings where we can participate in the body and blood of Christ. It's a disrupting time. But it's a time to stir up one's soul toward God. And uh, it, 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 the Lent actually comes from a word that means spring. So it's like a springtime of faith is what it is. And it, Ash Wednesday begins March 5th. We'll throw some ashes on your head on a Wednesday night. You can pretend you're dead. And uh, it, it's a time that breaks you up. A wonderful time. So I want to encourage you. We're going to kick off the preparation for that on Saturday, March 1st. We're going to do a, a, just a, a God journey um, I'll be teaching a two-hour thing on, on, on the Saturday morning before Lent begins to talk about you mapping out a journey for yourself so some of you will want to be there, if, especially if you've never done it. And um, we'll talk about constructing a journey of fasting and prayer and different things that might be encouraging to you as you sort of seriously think about God doing some formation in your soul. But as we come to the Eucharist, let's remember this idea of encountering him and being broken is modeled for us in the bread and the cup because when he took that bread that night he took it and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you his body continues to be broken who is his body by the way? us so we're to be the Eucharist people being broken in our, most, our devotional moments in our prayer times in our moving toward each other we're broken precisely so that we can focus on the other So let's come this morning with that kind of openness. Would you lift up the bread and let's pray. Father, we bring this bread to you. It is the work of human hands, a result of creation. And we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will inhabit this. Jesus, this morning, we're inviting your presence into the bread that in a way we're getting a mini first or second coming. That somehow... You find your presence in this physicality. One day we'll see your actual body. And yet this is an actual body on some level. And so we welcome you. We open our hearts to you. We thank you that you are present. For this is your body. And then we lift up the cup. And we say to you, Lord God, thank you for the shed blood and that somehow mysteriously that Jesus, you said that this is the cup in my blood, the cup of the new and the everlasting covenant. And so we receive you, Jesus, into the cup. And we say to you, welcome, Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at this bread and cup, we can declare, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray as we open our hearts to receive, as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you come and receive the body and the blood of the Lord? Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.